Welcome back to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie. And I'm your other host, Harless. This is the podcast where we recap the fiction story of Magic the Gathering and add our own bits of flavor text as we go. We are in season four, which follows the epic story of March of the Machine. Today, we're diving into episode three of the main story, titled Mother, Son, and Story by Kay Arsenault Rivera. Join us as we head into the multiverse. trigger warning. This episode will depict scenes of war and violence. Please use your discretion when listening. Okay, so before we start this episode, I just have to say that this one was emotional for me, and not just because I love the plane we're headed to today. In this episode, we're going to Kamigawa to see what Tamiyo is up to. So remember the last time we saw Tamiyo, Elish Norn had ordered her to go to Kamigawa and bring the plane into the Phyrexian fold. In episode one, Tamiyo wasn't the only planeswalker who was ordered to do so. Jace, Nahiri, Ajani, Luka, Atraxa, all of them were ordered into different planes in order to bring their power under the Phyrexian command. Tamiyo was the only one who hesitated. She witnessed the initial invasion from Kamigawa beside Elish Norn inside the Realm Breaker, and Tamiyo felt something come over her, something that kept her from invading that plane straight away. She eventually shook out of it, and she became fully under Norn's influence again, exclaiming she looks forward to what Kamigawa can become, before she left for the plane, and that was the last we saw of her. So now we're back with her. But before we get into what she's up to, this episode starts off with a story. And this is very appropriate for Tamiyo, who is a scholar at heart. Her life has been devoted to writing down the truth, and her appearance even reflects this. She's often seen surrounded by floating scrolls and carries a bag of rolled up parchment at her side. Her design is also one of the absolute coolest and most stunning, in my opinion. She's a moon folk, so her skin is paper white, and she's just beautiful and graceful. So this story, within a story talks about Urza. And Natalie, can you read us the opening of this story? Many eons ago, there was a great wizard by the name of Urza. So wise was he that all the mages of the multiverse flocked to him for advice. So powerful was he that only his brother Mishra stood as a potential rival. But Mishra hated him bitterly, and soon a war began. The war spanned decades and took untold lives. Worse, it allowed evil without compare to blossom. An awful affliction spread through Mishra's armies, a black oil that changed everything in its path. So Tamiyo is hovering above the city of Tawashi on the plain of Kamigawa, thinking of this story because, according to her, this is how everything started. And she knows this story very well. She studied it for many years. She's recorded it even. She turns her attention to the scroll in her hand. And because she's Phyrexian now, it's just getting covered with oil, but she doesn't care. Again, she knows the story by heart. At this point, it becomes clear that the invasion on Kamigawa has fully begun. A Phyrexian centurion crashes through a roof, scattering people into the streets. Tamiyo thinks they look like ants, but then changes her mind. Ants, according to Tamiyo, 
would at least follow one unified voice and not scatter about in fear. And this this passage, I will I will just like I I was so happy to hear this passage of our comparison to ants because it reminded me of Harless's very first story all the way back in Dominaria United where she got attacked by the fire ants and we had made that analogy to Phyrexians pretty earlier on. So it made me chuckle because this like has come full <laughs> circle now where Harless's ant story came back to us. I know I was right. It, they are like ants. I, and that's so funny because I remember I, like when we wrote that script, I was like, I hope I'm getting this right. Like, I don't want to misrepresent Phyrexians. <laughs> and so this was very uh, affirming for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Tamiya slips an iron ring from around the outside of the scroll and unfurls it. And the story from before continues here. The wizard Urza creates an heir from pure, unvarnished metal. He names him Karn. The same spark of creation that birthed him burns brightly in his breast. Karn, too, must create. As a sculptor chipping at marble, he shapes his world. When it is done, the creatures named and granted boons, the climate carefully crafted, the earth shaped and polished, he appoints his own successor, Memnark, to oversee it. And back in the present moment, the spirits, or kami, of Kamigawa are just not happy that their plane is being invaded and they begin to attack. Kami are a huge part of Kamigawa, which blends futuristic technology with the ancient spirits that inhabit the plane. Tamiyo says to herself that while they each have their own story, many of which she knows by heart, that these stories are lesser to the only story that matters to her now, the story she is here to bring a conclusion to. And that's the first time my heart breaks in this episode because... Tamiyo loves the stories of Kamigawa. They make up so much of who she is, of who she chose to become. And now she says these stories have no purpose and just, oh my God, my heart. It feels like she's truly gone to us now. And I just, honestly, I can't deal. It, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Phyrexianization has taken her over at this point. And that's so, to your point, Harless, it's so heartbreaking because to lose stories for Tamiyo, like the stories that were her, were who she was in her life is just, that speaks to the profound loss at this point. It, it just, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, feels, it, hurt. it feels like she's just truly gone and that there's no coming back. So back to the story, Tamiyo takes the scroll she's opened and begins to read from it. And as she does, Kamigawa just shakes at the boom of her voice. Skyscrapers are just being torn asunder here. And then the actual ground opens up. And there's Phyrexian oil everywhere. And Phyrexian symbols are appearing on buildings. The story within the story continues again. Memnark, the heir's heir, is a copy of a copy. A faded image of Urza himself. It longs for the power its grandfather wielded as easily as a poet wields a brush. It longs for its parents' ability to create. It longs to see more. Over years, it plucks life from this plane and that, settling them all within this garden, waiting for the flowers to come. And they do, but they aren't the flowers Memnark expects. These bloom in black oil. Their choking roots wrap around that which is alive and whole. Soon, the whole garden drowns beneath the oil. The heir returns to discover his home has been torn asunder. At this point, Kamigawa is in big trouble. Boseiju, the tree that holds the world together, 
bursts apart and starts bleeding Phyrexian oil. Wait, Boseju is just gone? I had the same reaction. I honestly just couldn't believe it because the Boseju tree is the embodied soul of the largest forest on Kamigawa. So this isn't just a tree, right? This is the second time my heart broke reading the story. And to make matters worse, this tree is the home to many other kami who are now ripped from their comfort and emit a, quote, an unholy screech upon being dehomed. And this is where we are given a tiny, tiny glimmer of hope, because after this happens, again, quote, there is a distant part within her that is screaming at the sight of all this. Okay, I gasped when I read this because I thought, wait a minute, is she still in there? Is there a piece of her that's still fighting? But she follows it up by saying that she can't say she feels afraid because she knows that this is what's right for Kamigawa, which obviously Tamiyo would never believe that Kamigawa should be under Phyrexian control, but the Phyrexianized part of her does. And just, K. Arsenal Rivera, what are you doing to my emotions? <laughs> The scroll itself turns to oil in Tamiyo's hand. And before we leave Tamiyo's perspective, we are left with one line. This is how the story ends. And how it has always ended. With Phyrexia's victory. Jeez Louise. This story is already giving me so many feelings. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> huh. huh. So. <laughs> oh, Sage is gone. Okay. I, I just need to the carry Sage on. Sage is gone. Oh. Yeah. Tamiyo is like, maybe, maybe, maybe still in there. But the Phyrexian part of her is very much strong. in control. It's too strong. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. So now we switch perspectives. And the first line of our new narrator says, a scab turns into a scar when you pick at it too much. A wound scars when it doesn't receive proper care. We are with Kaya. Okay. So the last time we saw Kaya, she had just come back from New Phyrexia to report that they had failed their mission and lost so many friends in doing so. Now, Kaya's home plane is Ravnica, and initially she had planned to go there with Vraska, but based on what happened to Vraska, Jace, Nahiri, Nissa, and Luca, that plan has been abandoned. Plus, Kaya knows that Ravnica can take care of itself for a while. Now, she's on Kamigawa because Kaito asked for her help, and she muses that after what they had just been through together on New Phyrexia, this is the least she can do. Kaya is rattled. She wonders if these memories she's making are the sort that change who you are in the afterlife. She thinks to herself that if that's the case, she's hopelessly lost. She decides the only way to keep from feeling the pain of it all is to go numb and move on. <sighs> go numb. And move on. Yeah. Just, I, I think that helps paint a picture of what's going on. And I'm going to paint a further picture of what is happening in Tawashi right now. Just imagine buildings falling down. Phyrexian monsters are everywhere and people and Kami alike are running away screaming. Kaya doesn't have time to think. She has to act. So Kaya runs into the chaos, using her planeswalker abilities to phase in and out of falling debris. She's struck by how many people must have been injured or worse in this attack. Kaya hears a scream and phases through a wall where she finds a little boy and his dog trapped beneath the rubble. She's able to phase him through the beam and the dog is able to follow on its own. And I thought this was really interesting, actually, because um, there's a line in the story that essentially says that 
it's hard for Kaya to phase people through things, but because this little boy wanted out as much as she wanted him out, it was like easier, which I, I just think that's a really cool interpretation of her magic. But now there's a new problem. How are they going to get down? So as Kaya looks out upon the city, she's once again horrified by what's before her. Not only is the building she's in half torn apart, smoke rises up from all around them, and other buildings where people live are falling to the ground. The attackers drip black oil from their eyes, and every few minutes a new boom announces that more of Elish Norn's invasion has arrived on the plane. Kaya pulls herself together and tells the boy they're going to jump down. But as they begin their descent, the balcony they're on falls and they plummet with it toward the ground. Kaya frantically tries to figure out what to do, how to save the boy. But before they hit the ground, they're caught. It's Kaito. He says, yay, yay, yay Kaito. <laughs> he says in his normally very snarky way to, quote, try to be less reckless next time, Ka which I just love. I, I love Kaito. Kaito's armor is just covered in Phyrexian oil and dirt. He's clearly fought his way here. As Kaya gets up, the boy runs to his mother, the little dog tucked safely in his shirt. Yay, the boy and the dog made it. <laughs> One little victory. It's the small right? victories. We're in I know. I was, like, I was like, don't tell me something's going to happen to a dog in this story. I can't handle it. I can't handle the dog. <laughs> I can't handle the dog. But they make it. Yay. So Kaya thanks Kaito for saving her. And they quickly turn their attention to the Boseju district. Remember, that's where the Boseju tree is, which Tamiyo just blew up with her scroll. It's also where Tamiyo is. She's still floating high above the city, reading from the scroll. And Kaito tells Kaya that if no one takes Tamiyo out, she's just going to keep making things worse. Kaya realizes that now they're talking about killing their friends and muses that even though she's an assassin, this feels different. I don't blame you, Kaya. It feels wrong. Kaya gives Kaito a choice. She can take Tamiyo out herself or Kaito can do it since he knows her so well. To which Kaito responds, it's personal. And then he instructs Kaya to go get the kami that can fight and convince them to come to the Boseju and help. And if you're wondering where the Wanderer or the Emperor is, as in the Emperor of Kamigawa, well, Kaya is wondering that too. But when pressed, Kaido bristles a little and says, she'll be here. And then he tells Kaya to have faith. And I love this next line. All around them, Kamigawa was crumbling. He says, have faith. It's like a bad joke, isn't it? Or a scab they keep picking at. And this just really shows you how much this is affecting Kaya in real time. She's she's having to compartmentalize what's happening to her so she can move forward. But she's not she's not ignorant to the fact that this is intense and that this is going to change her. The group make it to the Boseju tree in the Boseju district and begin to climb the tree so they can get closer to Tamiyo. When they're about three steps up the giant tree's bark, they hear a voice. A small and timid voice asks, are you going up there to fight her? Now, as much as Kaido wants to get to his target, there should not be a kid here. So he tells the kid to get going, but the kid responds, I can't. Finally, Kaido properly looks at the kid, which is a Nizumi in armor and a homemade helmet, a little homemade helmet. So adorable. Oh, and just as recognition dawns on Kaido, the Nizumi says, that's my mom up there. And this is the third time in the story that my heart absolutely ripped from my body because Kaido recognizes the little Nizumi as Tamiyo's adopted son, Nashi. And, and Nashi is here because he believes 
that if there is anything left of Tamio in this new phyrexianized form, he'll be the one to get to her. Kaito hesitates. After all, this isn't exactly a safe place to be, but Nashi is insistent. And so they all turn their attention back to the tree. In his little homemade helmet. I can't deal with how sweet Nashi is. So, so cute. Ugh. Anyway, Kaido gives Nashi this cool piece of technology that allows him to float up the tree with the others. It even has a shield. So they all go up. After a pretty treacherous climb, remember the tree has splintered apart and has what is basically a Phyrexian waterfall gushing out of it. They reach the branches level with Tamiyo. Tamiyo doesn't notice them at first. So Nashi is able to take two steadying breaths before he says, Okay, I'm ready. And Kaido does something really sweet here as well. He takes the breaths with Nashi because, and I quote, Sometimes it helped to have company when it came to that sort of thing. Aww. And I just love that. It's so sweet. Kaito. Oh, man. This, this. Uh, yeah. Okay. I got to carry on. I'm going to get too emotional. Kaito tells Nashi he has his back and encourages the little Nazumi forward. When he's close enough, he simply asks, Mom? And Tamio's response is not exactly what anyone was hoping for. She swivels her head all the way around her neck to look at him. So creepy, a little bit creepy. Nashi speaks up again. He asks his mother if she remembers him, then tells her that he doesn't think she wants to do anything she's doing, that he knows someone is making her, like in the stories about lost princes. Oh, my emotions. Okay, so Tamiya responds. She asks, Nashi, what are you doing here? And at this moment, Kaido reaches out to steady Nashi, who is trembling on this branch. And as soon as Kaido reaches out to him, the rest of Tamiyo's body snaps around to, to like, meet her face, right? Because she, like, her body was facing one way, her head was facing another. That's so creepy that Phyrexians, like, can do that. It just, yeah. the, the image that gave me was just, it, it gave me the heebie-jeebies a little bit. Yeah. And then it does it again. She, like, snaps around. And as she does, she attacks. She tells Nashi that she wants nothing more than for him to join her and that he's only afraid because he doesn't understand. She says, there is nothing to fear, and the light of Nuphorexia all will be one. Now, thankfully, Kaido was able to get Nashi out of the way of Tamiyo's initial attack, because otherwise there's no way I could handle it. Like, this podcast would be over. <laughs> and, as soon, and as soon as he does, the fight is on between Kaito and Tamiyo. Kaito can't help but notice that this version of Tamiyo is nothing like who he knew her as. He muses that she was, quote, Tamiyo was someone who did what she could to support others, a storyteller, an investigator, a woman devoted to her family. But now, well, now she's cruel, and he notices there's nothing behind her eyes, which were once kind and inquisitive. They fight. Kaido with his sword and Tamiyo with weaponized scrolls and her claws. Despite the slick oil on the branches, Kaito is able to defend himself. Even when he slips, he evades her attack. I mean, he's a ninja. He's pretty good at this. And Tamiyo tells him, this is a pointless fight. To which he responds, maybe for you, there's no way you're going to win this. Tamiyo continues her attack and tells Kaito that she pities him. And I quote, fighting against peace to maintain your loneliness. You stand in the way of your own enlightenment. Like a child, you fight against the parents who only wish to welcome you. As Kaito lunges for Tamiyo, Tamiyo manages to wrap a scroll around Kaito's leg and pulls on it, knocking him off his balance. 
And this next part is from the story. Kaito flips feet overhead before he knows what's happened, dangling far above Tawashi. The smoke of the burning city stings at his eyes. Somehow, he keeps hold of his sword. I'm giving you one final opportunity to surrender, Kaito. Phyrexia can give you the life you've always wanted. Come home and let me welcome my family. Blood's rushing to his head. Think, if he cuts himself down, he's going to fall. Maybe he'll be able to catch himself on something. Maybe not, but he doesn't have many better options. I like my life the way it is, he says. Kaito makes the cut. He falls. Impact never comes. Instead, he feels something cool and soft beneath him. Something familiar. We're up to three if you're keeping count. <gasps> it's the Wanderer! There she is! I knew she'd show up. Kaito knew she'd show up. Like Kaito said, all we needed was a bit of faith. And Kaito himself has landed on Kyodai, which is the guardian spirit of Kamigawa, whose soul is bound to the emperor. And Kyodai, Kyodai has to be one of the coolest dragons that I have ever laid eyes on. To give you a really brief description, Kyodai is a very long dragon who can fly. And all along their spine, it's... I want to describe them as almost like piano keys, and that's the scales along their back. Yeah, or like imagine like this really cool long dragon that's kind of like these like beigey tones, but growing out of their back are these like, I think piano keys is a good description, but imagine the shape of a piano key, but the look of a crystal like growing yeah, out of it. Yeah, they're crystals. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great description. And on Kyodai's face are actually three different masks facing all different directions, which is just so cool. And then above those three different masks is a glass orb of some sort. And just all of this combined as like this golden dragon with those white sort of crystal scales on their back and then the, these masks along their face. It's just so cool. To see and and Kyodai is just an is just an awesome dragon. I sorry, I had to geek out about the dragon. Of course, I did. So back to the story. The emperor confronts Tamio. Her attacks pushing Tamio back until she's standing next to Nashi. She puts her hand on Nashi's head. No, not Nashi. Anything but this sweet little kid. I'm gonna read this next section for y'all for two reasons. One, a lot happens in a short time, and I want you to hear it word for word. And two. Man, oh man, K. Arsenal Rivera is a good writer. Here we go. Kaito's stomach twists. He wonders if he should look away. Instead, he finds the strength to call out, Nashi, turn around. Tamiya reaches for a scroll at her waist, one bound with an iron band. She slips the band free with a finger. The silken paper unfurls. Kiyodai, the emperor shouts. The great Kami beneath them flies to her side. The emperor holds her sword toward her companion and Kyodai breathes upon it. Shining white lines the blade. Characters float in the air around her. Kyodai's power flows through the emperor. Tamiyo's mouth begins to move. Nashi, at last comprehending what is about to happen, turns away. A flash of white light. The sound of a blade unsheathing. The whistle of a distant gale. Tamiyo falls. No, this is horrible. There's some part of me that kept hoping that with Tamiyo, at least we'd be able to bring her back from Phyresis somehow, like with some no magical kidding. new finding or something. I was, I was in the same boat. I had to. Oh, 
had to bring her back somehow, somehow. I'm still in denial. I, I think I'm still in the denial phase that any of this has happened. Absolutely. I mean, I just did not expect this. And here's why. Imagine the best person you know. Imagine someone who is morally good and they just truly want to help people and they want to uncover the truth. That's Tamio. So corrupting someone like Tamio to me is so much worse than corrupting someone like, say, Luca, who is very harsh already. And he like has some of these like almost like militant characteristics like a Phyrexian has. With Tamio, it's just it's so undeserved. It's so like heart wrenching to imagine what she'd become. So, okay. Moving on. I know I keep getting wrapped up in my emotions here. I hope I hope you're all feeling a lot of these feelings, too. <laughs> I can confirm um, like these these emotions are legit. We are having like true visceral reactions to this to this episode. I I had similar reactions uh, last season when we lost Jace and Vraska. That that scene in the arena was really, really hard for me, like really, yeah. truly hard for me. This is hitting similar vibes. Yeah. Where it's just it's it's heart wrenching to me. It's like it's just like the involvement of the kid in the equation. Yeah. Makes it so much harder because not only does Tamio not deserve any of this, neither does Nashi. Nashi was orphaned as a child and Tamio took Nashi in. And so this is not the first blow that Nashi has had. And it just it's, again, so undeserved and so heartbreaking because there, again, is this really good person who just does not deserve what is happening to them. And that is so hard to take in. Whereas with Jason Vraska, they did not deserve it. I'm not saying that by any means, but they're older and they're adults and they're able to, like, use their adult emotional capacity and their emotional intelligence and their adult brains to figure out what to do in that situation and, and come to a peace with it themselves. And, right? and there Not weren't she's... children in the equation either, which exactly. and, and to your point, Harless, I think Nashi just makes this, this scene all the more difficult to wrap my brain around. And every time I put myself in Nashi's shoes, I just almost break down. Just it's 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 hard. Yeah. All right. So back on the tree, Kaito and the Wanderer rush to Nashi's side. Kaito wraps Nashi up in a hug and the Emperor joins in. Another hand alights on his shoulder, oddly light and cold. Kaya never seemed the type for tearful reunions. But maybe after what they saw on New Phyrexia, she's singing a different tune. Any comfort is welcome now. Even Kyodai wraps around them all. For a moment, it feels as if they're trying to hold the plane together. Perhaps in the case of this one young boy, they are. Oh, I love that line. It's so good. Yeah, this is such a special scene. In the midst of war, in the midst of losing a friend, this group of adults just gathers around a kid in need. And it's just so beautiful. Okay, full disclosure, this scene made me cry. It's seriously so beautiful. K. Arsenal Rivera, why are you so talented? This is such a good story. Okay, so in the midst of this truly beautiful group hug, they hear Tamio's voice. But it isn't the voice they just heard. No, this voice is clear. and sounds like the real Tamio. And the voice says, Nashi, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Emotions. Yeah. I'll read this next passage. Kaito shields Nashi with his body. Before them is a strange being, 
densely packed floating characters form a woman's silhouette. They glow and dim as if breathing. When they next hear Tamiyo's voice, a light at the center glows even brighter. Characters wink in and out of existence and change as he studies them. Tawashi's projected neons can achieve all sorts of trickery, but this is something different. The way it's moving feels too intentional to be random, too imperfect to be artificial. The light glowing within reminds him more of a kami than any of Tawashi's technical wonders. So this silhouette knows that the group might be wary of her, but she insists she means them no harm. Kaido asks, what are you? And Kaya verbalizes that this Tamiyo is not a ghost. She seems to be something else entirely. And she asks this version of Tamiyo what it wants. Nashi is already breaking away from Kaido and running toward this conglomeration of characters, as it's described in the story. And when he runs into these characters, they swarm and then settle into his arms, which I just think is so cool. That is very cool. And I'll quote for you here. The silhouette turns towards each of them, then nods. I am what remains of Tamiyo, her story unending. You may think of me as her memory. Many years ago, she created me in anticipation of her death and sealed me away within a scroll until I was needed, bound with an iron ring. Tamiyo's memory, her story, pauses. I had hoped I might never be. The emperor tells Kaito that the story of Tamiyo is telling the truth, that all of her attacks went too wide when they were fighting, that she saw her remove the band from a scroll and mouth something. That... Even in Phyresis, she really did retain some of herself. And this broke my heart all over again because it shows us just how willful and powerful Tamiyo really is. And we've lost her. And I, we've been we've been speculating about this, Harless, since the very beginning. And we saw a Johnny give Elspeth's cloak to Tezzeret and... Even Tezzeret was reading into it as a potential sign. Some little things yeah. that show that our planeswalkers might still be in there. And we are not the only ones. Like there are some planeswalkers who are trying to fathom how could you possibly be all the way gone when Phyrexia takes over? It still has to be in there somewhere. And I mean, right. I think that's what was driving Chandra last episode to go after Nissa. Nissa can't be all the way gone. She's still there. And, and I think that this, this, this faith is somehow like becoming true, at least in Tamiyo. And so it just, after everything that we have lost, this was so, I mean, I'm so heartbroken that we did leave, that we did lose Tamiyo, but at least we know that Tamiyo was still in there somehow struggling, fighting against the phyresis that had taken control of her and, it 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 just it, it gives me a little bit of hope that maybe maybe our planeswalkers are gonna be okay. Uh not Tamio. And yeah, I guess not for not for Tamio. It was too late for Tamio, but it, I'm trying to hang on to some sort of hope, Harless. <laughs> me too, Natalie, me too. <laughs> and I'm going to read for you a, a passage close to the end of this episode. Kaito looks back over his shoulder. Nashi is still surrounded by the characters, by the story unending. It isn't a clean victory, or even a very good one. Kaito looks out over the burning city below Buseju's wounded canopy, 
So many are dead. So many are dying. So many more that will die. In the distance, he sees shapes moving through the strange smoke. Giant mechs lumbering toward the impact barb. Imperial forces gathering to counter the Phyrexian assault. How much can they do? How many can they save? Tamiyo fell, but Nashi lived. Considering the work left to do, he'll take it. And our story ends by taking us back to the story within a story that we were telling earlier in the episode. And it ends like this. There is a story. Once upon a time, there was a great evil, one that threatened to swallow the planes of the multiverse whole. Unfeeling and uncaring, it infected the hearts of those it encountered. There was someone who fought against it. There was a protector in white. Oh. Which is the emperor, the yeah. wanderer. Yeah. The wanderer is the protector in white. It's just the protector oh, it's in white. so cool. So obviously this episode was very emotional for me. I hope it wasn't too emotional for you if you're headed into work or school or whatever it is you're doing next. Um, but thank you for coming along this ride with us while we experienced the downfall of beautiful, wonderful, brilliant planeswalker Tommy O. As always, you can read this story and more at mtgstory.com. And if you like this episode today, please, please go in and give us a review. It helps us out so much. And we just appreciate you listening in and you giving us a review so very much. You can listen to this podcast on all podcast platforms, including Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Thanks for joining us today. And as always, have have a magical magical day. day.